that really hit me hard around my 25th birthday and took a lot of reflecting to realize that, okay, you know what, I'm here. It's, you know, it's fine. We'll, we'll just adjust. And I remember at that moment thinking, yeah, I'm not going to make any more plans. If I wanted something to happen, I was going to have to make it happen for myself. It didn't happen like it was in the movies or by how I expected it to be. But I just always wanted to think, I tried it. I did my best. I don't regret anything. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's not a straight line. I'm Jordan Harding and welcome to the podcast. We're about to learn how people like you and I overcome career setbacks, pivot, reinvent themselves, and find work that aligns with their top strengths. Let's dig in together as we learn how these incredible people become the best version of themselves. Welcome to episode three of It's Not a Straight Line. I'm honored to have as my third guest, Dr. Alyssa Hayes. Alyssa's a lifelong friend. She graduated from the University of Western, went and did dentistry school in Sydney, Australia, has a master's from the University of Toronto, has practiced as a dentist, has been an academic, and now works for the federal government in Ottawa. I hope you learned something of value today because I know Alyssa's going to bring it and going to tell you how she overcomes some setbacks and how she got to where she is today. Welcome to the show, Alyssa. And to kick it off, I'd love to know what originally sparked your interest and put you on the path to pursuing a career in dentistry? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think the fact that my father has been a dentist or was a dentist before he retired for like 47 years, that had a huge impact on me. But I also remember from a very young age playing with my dolls that I always wanted to be a caregiver of some sort. And I don't think when I was younger, I sort of knew what that meant. I thought at one point that I'd be a doctor, but I think there was always this aspect where I really like working with people. I'm pretty bubbly and I tend to get along with a lot of people. But when I was in my undergrad university, I think that's probably where I had my first challenge. I was not very successful in my first year. In fact, I failed the class. Um, and I remember thinking, oh my God, my like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life now because you can't get into anything with an F on your transcript. Anyhow, I retook the course. There were some extenuating circumstances at the time with my family, and it all worked out, and I really sort of buckled down and focused. I didn't have a straight academic path to dental school. I ended up going overseas to Australia, which presented its own challenges. It was very far from my family, but it worked for me. I've always been the type of person who wants to be really good at the thing that they're the least strong at. So if you've ever talked to my parents, and I say this all the time, um, if my parents had their way, I'd be an English major or I maybe would have been a lawyer because I also like to argue sometimes. <laughs> but science was not my forte growing up. And I just felt for some reason that that's where I needed to be. I know that sounds really, you know, esoteric and odd, but it just worked for me. And then when I finally got into dental school at the University of Sydney, it was like it was where I always needed to be. It came easy. I didn't struggle. And I loved it. It's great to hear that even though you failed that initial class, you still persevered and got to where you wanted to go, which was dentistry school. 
Was your initial goal to go to dentistry school in Canada? I think part of me wanted that, but I also realized that that early failure would limit those possibilities. After getting my biology degree, I put a lot of thought into working for like a pharmaceutical company. As you know, I sort of spent some time working in the banking industry. You know, it was a job and it was a bit of security. But I always had dentistry on the back of my mind, and I looked into overseas schools. And yeah, like I said, the University of Sydney just worked. How do you feel that that early failure was kind of affecting your ability to go in Canada? And what kind of resiliency did you bring to yourself to think, okay, like I've got to look for other options. Australia might be one of them. It's far away. But this is something in my best interest for the long term. Like, like, can you walk me through how you kind of thought through that and came to that realization? So I remember thinking, you know, my options were limited in Canada and in the U.S., so North America, and really thinking, I've always had this mentality that if I want something, I don't want it to be a regret. So I didn't want to look back in six months, being in the banking industry or six years or whatever that time frame was. And not have tried. At least I could have said, I've tried all my options. Might not be my favorite option, but I've tried it and I've done my best. And that's all I can do. And I really, that was instilled in me from as young as I can remember. That is really how my mother, you know, and my father, but more so my mother, go through life. My mother is super strong and super resilient. And I think I take a lot of that from her. And I just didn't want to give up on myself that easy. You know, I think it's challenging for anyone who's 18 or younger entering into university and thinking they have their life decided already. You and I both know nothing goes to plan ever. Um, And I just think I, you know, that failure in first year undergraduate studies just made me realize that if I wanted something to happen, I was going to have to make it happen for myself. It didn't happen like it was in the movies or by how I expected it to be. But I just always wanted to think, I tried it. I did my best. I don't regret anything. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But what have I got to lose? For people that are not familiar, how hard is it for someone to get into dentistry school in North America? So in Canada, there's fewer than 10 schools. Um, There's certainly more in America, but less in Canada. It's like any professional school. I would say it's comparable to trying to get into medicine, to nursing, to pharmacy. You know, you need to have a really high GPA, which is fine because it does, it is complicated to um, become a health professional, Uh, you know, and you have to be a well-rounded person, but it is a competitive school to get into. And I just... By no means was I a horrible student, but I was not an A-plus student in undergrad. And I realized that that might, despite my best efforts, not work out, at least in North America. And so you started looking at going abroad and, and did Australia kind of quickly appeal to you? And, you know, what was it like when you finally made that decision? Were, you know, your family and friends behind you on that decision? Or was there friends and family that were like, hey, you should stay, you should stay in North America? And even was there some doubt in your mind? Yeah, so Australia really jumped out at me because it was very close to 
you know, culturally, it reminded me a lot of Canada. The education system was, you know, similar to Canada and also similar to the United Kingdom. So it was familiar. And I really, if I look back at it now, if I had taken a moment to really think about the decision um, and, you know, if I'd spent time sort of weighing pros and cons, I'm not sure I would have done it because I remember getting my letter of acceptance or my email of acceptance and saying, you know what, I'm doing it. And I literally quit my job at the bank that day or gave my notice saying, okay, I got into dental school. I'm not going to stay, you know, past whenever the date was. And then telling my parents that, you know what, I got in and I'm going. <laughs> um, so not that I didn't think about it, but I think if I'd really like taken the time and like reflected and, you know, put a lot of time overthinking it because I'm an overthinker, I probably would have talked myself out of it. And I'm so glad I didn't. I think <laughs> my whole family, myself included, was nervous because it is literally the other end of the world. It's expensive. I didn't know anyone in Australia. On top of that, the becoming a dentist is challenging just educationally and academically. But I thought, you know what? <laughs> it's going to be a really cool adventure. Again, I'll go. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But again, I've gone. I've had my attempt. And I won't regret anything. And so I really probably learned the most about myself moving to the other end of the world. But yeah, it was... <laughs> There were some rough times, but, you know, we got through it and <laughs> came out the other end okay. Do you look back on how you made that decision and being like, you know what, I got the acceptance letter, I accepted and went, and if I would have dwelled on it too long, maybe I wouldn't have gone? Have you ever used that in your career uh, since then, like in terms of your decision making, or have you ever seen that as a, as a valuable way to go about deciding on things? So I think personally, yes, I've used that multiple times throughout my life. I'm a firm believer if something's right, I just sort of know. Okay. And it sounds so, so vague, but I, you know, I knew when I got into Australia, it just felt right. I knew the same when I walked on my campus tour at Western that this is where I was supposed to be. I knew after doing some practical time in a clinic in rural Australia that's that's where I needed to practice for a few years. And I also knew when I came back to Canada that the specialty I chose was the one for me. You know, I think all my life experiences have played into that. I certainly, you know, thought about things a lot. I don't change my career lately. Those decisions I really spend time thinking about. But I think the decision, not that it was a staff decision, but the quick decision to go to Australia, figure it out, was probably one of the best I've ever done. That's amazing. And and how long in total were you there? I was in Australia for around seven years. Okay. And if you can think back through those seven years, whether it was living there or whether it was going through the schooling and then actually, you actually practiced as a dentist in Australia for a few years. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So what, what were some of the, what were some of the challenges being there? Australia is very much like Canada. Uh, it's also different. Uh, so there's a lot of slang that took a while to figure out. But I think the challenge for me was that I, I you know, I knew no one. I, I went down there with, you know, knowing I was going to live in residence, but not really sure what it was going to be like. Academically, you know, you hit the ground running. At University of Sydney, you did both your medical school and dental school at the same time. 
So you were sort of straddling the world of the medical education and the dental education, which was a lot of education. And then you very quickly had to pick up a handpiece or a drill, as people know it, and try to figure out how to do these things on teeth, you know, not on real people to begin with, but to figure out, okay, so this is how that does. And realizing that um, my dad probably, I probably owed my dad a bit more, not respect, but just appreciation for the skills that he had. But my biggest challenge came for me personally, probably in first year dental school, I turned 25. And I remember thinking, this isn't where I thought I was going to be at 25. I had, you know, the vision that I think probably a lot of young people have that their life's going to end up a certain way. And at 25, I didn't think I'd be back in a first-year education program and trying to still figure out my career. I thought I'd be more settled, whether that meant with or without a partner, but just I thought I would be somewhere else. So that really hit me hard around my 25th birthday and took a lot of time, not time, but a lot of, you know, reflecting to realize that, okay, you know what, I'm here, it's, you know, it's fine, we'll we'll just adjust. And I remember at that moment thinking, yeah, I'm not going to make any more plans for my life. I'm going to take it um, as it comes. That doesn't mean I walk around with, you know, my eyes closed and not paying attention to the consequences or anything like that. But I just remember saying and thinking to myself, like, I have a loose plan, but I'm never as heartbroken as I was then if it doesn't turn out the way I expected it 100% of the time. It's interesting you say that. I On the second episode, I interviewed my friend John Syme, and he said the one thing he learned when he was in the reserves army, and then he's taken to his career, he learned that plan, that the plan's not going to go to plan. So exactly. I don't know if that resonates at all. Yeah, and no, it totally does, because later on in my career, when I became a professor, I used to always start with my first year dental students and say, so what do you think your life's going to be like as a dentist? And we would spend our first class talking about that and trying to deconstruct all their expectations and saying, you know, I hope it all goes like that. I'm not trying to kill everyone's dreams, but you have to be prepared for it not to, because that's probably more common than you want to think. And so you were you were 25 when you had that realization. And how old were you when you came back to Canada? I turned 30 in Australia. Okay. So I returned to Canada shortly after my 30th birthday. How long did it kind of take you to get through that, do you think it was like for a few years when you were thinking like, damn it, this plan's not going the way I thought it would go? Or or was it pretty quick that you kind of wrapped your head around that? I think it was a bit of both, to be honest. I think I very quickly realized that I didn't have a lot of time to dwell on that because I still had exams, I still had work, I still had patients, I still had stuff I needed to do to be a successful dental student. But I think it came back later in a couple years after, you know, like I graduated dental school and I realized, okay, I'm not sure I could really return to Canada because of there was, you know, because being foreign trained. Okay, so if that's not going to work out, I had to revisit again. So what am I going to do? So that's when I ended up working in rural Australia. So I think it sort of came and ebbed and it flowed in the sense that I bounced back, not quickly, but was able to work through the initial you know, this isn't what I expected at 25 rather quickly, but then it would come back. And I think it still comes back at some time. I think that happens for everyone, right? You just you get caught in a moment and you realize that's not exactly what I thought was going to happen. And then you just become, you know yourself better and you get 
and you work through it and you sort of become a little bit more resilient each time it happens. Yeah, and I think the more mature you get, you become increasingly self-aware of who you are and what makes you tick. So when you did your schooling in Australia, what was it that you become? Like a doctor of dentistry? So I, I should be calling you Dr. Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, Jordan, you should not. It's yeah. a list. Um, so at the time when I graduated, you got a bachelor of dentistry. That's okay. very... Um, more towards the educational system in the UK, but you're still called doctor. I believe uh, after my graduation, they changed it to what is now known as a doctor of medical dentistry, so a DMD. Um, and that's sort of common globally, that type of degree. Same degree, just different titles or different acronym letters after your name, really. And a question about uh, just dentistry in general. Do you remember the first time you actually worked on a human's teeth beyond the normal kind of exercise and and how how did that make you feel because I gotta imagine that's a pretty surreal experience or are you so well trained by that time there's no kind of anxiety or nervousness that goes into that uh so I will say I'm always a bit anxious with patients okay uh, <laughs> not because I not in my skills but you know each person's unique everyone's a bit afraid of the dentist People come with come to the chair with different experiences, and you have to be able to really not work on the fly because the dentistry is solid, like the actual clinical work is solid and fairly consistent, but it's that patient management that you have to be able to adjust in the moment and work with and make sure you're safe, make sure you know your patients are safe, your staff is safe, and so there's really a lot going on. In terms of the first thing I ever did on a patient, so... We In dental school, you practice on each other. So, okay. <laughs> um, I remember, you know, learning to, you know, clean each other's teeth. And I remember being very nervous having to give my first injection to my friend. And on top of that, getting my first injection, that made me very nervous because all of a sudden, you know, you'd been practicing sort of on models and, you know, you know, other ways that, you know, where there wasn't someone who would sort of flinch their eyes might water and there's not a tongue involved that moves anyhow that said i remember in my final year of dental school we had to do on-call rotations in the emergency room and whatever my luck was that week me and my classmates got multiple dental traumas and like a lot of dental traumas and big dental traumas and that was so nerve-wracking because it's not something you face every day. And I remember thinking when my pager went off, which I think, if I'm remembering correctly, was either 11 at night or 1 in the morning. Either way, okay. I was not awake at the time. <laughs> and thinking, is this a joke? What's happening? Like, I'm not like... And then, you know, going into the emergency room and going, nope, not a joke. Okay, let's figure it out. I mean, we were supervised. We had worked with a team of surgeons and, you know, on-call dentists, but it was not like the TV shows. I'll put it that way. That was probably the biggest moment where I was like, okay, what's happening right now? Because you don't typically think, I mean, everyone's experience is going to get either their teeth cleaned or filling or getting braces put on. Yes. It's fairly routine. It's not the emergencies in, you know, with accidents. You know, we saw, I saw rugby accidents on little kids. I saw motor vehicle accidents where we were one of this multidisciplinary team to try to address some problems because it was a fairly serious motor vehicle accident. And just 
realizing that, oh, right, that anatomy lesson in first year, while I knew it was important, is really important now because things aren't where they're supposed to be. Yeah, and I can't even imagine how that would make you feel, but you basically have that person's future oral health and the way they look in your hands at that moment. Yeah, and the whole sort of like facial complex, because when we were, you know, we were talking broken bones, we were talking about, you know, so it was maxillofacial surgeons who were dealing with more than teeth, it was jaw fractures, and it was very complex, it was very challenging. Uh, but it was also really rewarding. I remember seeing them in follow-up because you were on call for a week. And they were, you know, despite some pretty gnarly things going on, just happy that, you know, that there was hope that, you know, yeah, we could put it back together. You might need things going forward. But yeah, it was interesting. That's really interesting. And I can imagine it was extremely difficult seeing kids in rugby accidents, especially. So when you were in practicing in Australia. It was the New South Wales uh, health system. Is that correct? Yes, it was New South Wales Health. I worked as a dental officer, which means I was a government dentist in the government clinic uh, treating public patients to dental care on behalf of the government. So I assume being from Canada, you are always like, okay, eventually I'm going to come back to, say, Canada or the U.S., and then you end up in uh, the beautiful climate of Saskatoon, <laughs> and and you, but before that, like, can you speak with me about some of the challenges or, or discuss some of the challenges of coming back to Canada? It wasn't an easy path for you by any means, and then you entered into the world of academia and... You know, I want to hear a little bit more about what you did in Saskatchewan because I, I think it's quite impressive, but it didn't all come easily. It wasn't all smooth, and I imagine picking Saskatchewan even wasn't an easy decision knowing your, your family was in Ontario and, and maybe you didn't even know anybody there, I assume. No, I tend to move to places where I know absolutely no one, <laughs> which was the case in Saskatoon as well. So... After graduating dental school in Australia, I realized that coming back to Canada at that moment was going to be a bit of a challenge. And while I still had that as a goal, I thought, let's work in Australia and rural Australia, get some clinical experience, and still at the same time try to get back to Canada. Because you're right, my family's here, and that's where I'd always wanted to be. At the time, there was um, a series of exams you had to do, and I attempted those. You know, did okay, but again, coming in as a foreign trained dentist is also very competitive. And then I sort of came across the dental public health specialty at the University of Toronto, which is the specialty of sort of dentistry at the population level, where, you know, you sort of look at things at whether the population is a country, a community, or, you know, a group of people, however they're defined really intrigued me because when I was working in Australia, I was doing that sort of on the front line. I was a public dentist delivering those services, which were free to a certain proportion of the Australian population uh, on behalf of the government. And I always remember thinking, well, who gets to determine who gets what and why? And that was really what this specialty, part of what this specialty was. So I applied uh, and was successful in getting in, and it was extremely challenging. 
Well, I had a program supervisor who I'm eternally grateful for, but who really, in my mind, challenged, you know, my point of view and and for my colleagues as well, I think, um, about, you know, why things were happening and how things were happening and how to think about things differently in dentistry. Um, so that was great. Right after I graduated, I actually became the dental consultant for the regional municipality of York. And I remember um, at the time sort of thinking academia was or being a professor was something I kind of always wanted because while I said earlier that I always wanted to be a healthcare provider, part of me also really wanted to be a teacher. So this sort of, I thought, well, why not? It could work out. I'll, uh, you know, if there's an opportunity, I'll look into it. I did. I was successful. (laughs) Again, it was a huge challenge picking up and moving. I was moving to a place I knew no one, a really a city that in all honesty, I didn't know a lot about. I remember going out on a weekend with my mother to figure out, I better find a place to live before I go out there and finding my house. And it all happened very quickly. But yeah, I walked into that job, you know, not knowing anyone, not really knowing all the ins and outs of working in academia. I had a really sort of high level understanding of it, but it was great. I loved it. Teaching kids, whether they are three or 25 or 30, is not easy. It's about managing expectations again, and it's trying to get them to understand really abstract concepts quickly because nothing in the world prepares you to be a dentist and how to think about things in terms of dental health. So that was great, but I was out in Saskatoon for four years, and I remember thinking the first year that I lived there, the first winter, because it was about minus 50 for about five days with the wind chill, thinking, why am I here? (laughs) I'd been in Australia about two and a half years earlier where it was plus 50 in the summer, Thinking, okay, what am I doing? <laughs> and, and you were taught, you were saying how, you know, coming back into Canada, there's all these tests and it exams for foreigners. So are you, when you come back from school in Sydney, are you then treated as an international student or because you were Canadian, are you treated as a, as a Canadian? So at the time, education and dental education in Australia was not like reciprocal okay. with Canada. That has since changed. Okay. So when I came back, I was treated as a foreign trained dentist, meaning each school typically has a certain number of spots for foreign trained dentists, and I had to compete for one of those. Was that frustrating for you? Yes, it was extremely frustrating. It was challenging both personally and in terms of, you know, emotionally, because you're trying to compete for not a lot of spaces, which is, you know, it's like any spot you have to compete and show, you know, be chosen. But also, you know, I just found it very hard to come back. And, you know, I just found it, I don't know if it was hard, but I would say it was very arduous. It was certainly not an easy process. The process has changed since then. But yeah, I found it very discouraging at the time to think, you know, and I had to remember sitting down with my family and saying, I think I might have to go back to Australia. I wasn't willing, you know, I'd worked so hard to become a dentist. And I said, it's not going to work here. I'm going to go back to Australia and I'll stay there for the rest of my life and make it work. But it was a really hard decision to come to, to think that I couldn't, at the time, I didn't think I could make my career work in Canada. 
in the realization that I might have to spend the rest of my life on a 24-hour flight away from my family. So, yeah, that would be extremely challenging. What did you do at that point? Did you sit down? Are you the type of person that sits down and kind of writes out different options that you have? Like, like how did you come across the the option to do the program at U of T and then, you know, work in Region of York? I had taken a sabbatical from my clinical work in Australia to come back to Canada to spend some time with my grandfather, who was elderly at the time, and just to spend some quality time with him because I'd been away for a while. And I remember it was during that time off that I heard about the program or I learned about the program and thought, I'm going to apply. But at the same time, I had called my old boss in Australia and said, I think I'm going to come back. Knowing I'd applied to this, I was very upfront and said, can I work for you guys again in New South Wales Health? And he was lovely. He welcomed me back. I went back to Australia for, I think it was three or four months. Okay. Um, and then I found out I was accepted into the program. And a month later, I was back in Canada. But no, I'm not the type of person who typically writes things out. I'm the type of person who really thinks about it in and probably overthinks it uh, in my head. Like I'll, I'll put my, I'll put my headphones on. I'll go for a walk with the dog and I'll just sort of sit there and think about it. Or I just sort of think about it every moment I sort of have to myself. It's always going over stuff in my head and that's my process. I'm not sure it's the most efficient process, but that's just how it works for me. It's interesting because I've spent a lot of time thinking about how you make decisions. And I'm like you, I I overthink things. So something I've done recently is try to put a time limit or a deadline to things. So you actually make a decision. And the other thing, and I don't know if you can relate to this, is some a lot of people say, you know, there's no one right decision. Yeah, I totally agree. I also think, you know, to put it another way, that there's really no wrong decision. Because everything teaches you something, whether it teaches you something about your own resilience or about your career or what you don't like, that's just as important as for me to determine what I do like. You know, was it my ideal world that I would possibly live at the other end of my country? You know, Jordan, I'm very close to my family. No, it wasn't, but it was the best I could do at that moment. And I knew that things can always change. I've learned that throughout my life. You know, a plan never goes to plan. So I thought at least I can go back, have a career, have an income, and come at it from a different angle, perhaps in the future with a bit more experience, knowing myself a bit better, and then go from there. I don't think, yeah, I don't think anyone's road is like a movie or like what they, you know, want it to be. It's, you know, it's that exact catchphrase is a plan never goes to plan. You know, you just have to do what's best for you in any given moment. And I used to say that to my students as well. (laughs) Your best on any given day is your best from the day before, from the hour before, to tomorrow, to 10 years from now. All you can do is in that very moment, think about what is the best I can do here for me, for my patient, for whoever, and go with that. Because that's life, really. You know, your best today is different than my best was yesterday, and that my best will be tomorrow. I love that. I've never really, really thought of it that way. You were an assistant professor, right, at the University of Saskatchewan? Yes. And I know you really like that role you had in Saskatchewan. So what was it that made you make the move 
to the job in Ottawa? Sure. So not an easy choice to leave a role that I absolutely adored. You and I both know that I've had some pretty serious health issues in my life. Um, and I'm happy to talk about it here. So you and I both know during my time in Saskatchewan that I had it, I needed a kidney transplant, uh, which was successful. And I'm grateful for that. I just struggled in Saskatchewan after my transplant. Mm-hmm. Not having my family close. I had some very rough months after my transplant um, in terms of health. I struggled, I'm going to be perfectly honest, I struggled with some of my doctors in Saskatoon. They were great. Mm -hmm. I just didn't gel with them sort of on a personal level. And I think that's really important in healthcare. And so I just, an opportunity came up in Ottawa. And when the federal government, the opportunity the federal government presented itself, I just felt it, one, gave me a chance to get a little closer to home for my own health reasons. And it was a new challenge. And, I, I, you know, I think anyone who tells you that if they're in a job and that's the job that they'll spend the rest of their life in is not telling a whole truth. I think people owe it to themselves to look at every opportunity that comes their way. Um, and that's sort of been my mantra in my career. I loved being an academic. There are times I miss it. But at the same time, I totally love my job now, uh, which is working for the federal government and working with indigenous populations of Canada in terms of a dental program um, at a national level. It is 180 degrees from being an academic. It is 180 degrees from being a clinical dentist. But all of those experiences throughout my life, I think, make me a better public servant. I can draw on all those experiences and use them now in my career. And I'm grateful for that. But, you know, I think all of those experiences were challenges. But sometimes they were super easy in other aspects. But... I don't think I would be where I would be in my career if I hadn't have done all of those things. And if you had asked me at 25 what my career was going to look like, <laughs> it would not have been this at all. This wasn't even on my radar. But I think as you grow and learn more about yourself, everything, you know, your goals change, your, you know, what you think you'll be good at changes. And you just go, for me, I just sort of went from there. And so, yeah, thanks for bringing up your health challenges, being vulnerable about that. I mean, I'm sure there were times when you kind of asked yourself or said to yourself, you know, why me? Why now? I like what I'm doing here. Or I practice dentistry in Australia and now I can't even practice dentistry in, in Canada. This doesn't make any sense. How did you kind of rationalize that in your mind and kind of bounce back for maybe some of those those negative thoughts you might have had or is it just an ongoing process with yourself like we we all go through at times where you're trying to to just rationalize it I'd say it's an ongoing process I remember at the beginning of this health journey we'll call it yep being absolutely devastated because there were some pretty big discussions and decisions I had to make. Um, at certain points about what I 
would be willing not to compromise on, but having a chronic illness and requiring a transplantation really made me think about things in a different way. You know, I knew that it would be a lifelong health battle. I didn't know if I'd get a transplant yeah, or if I'd have to be on dialysis. And I remember thinking, I don't even know how I would work as a dentist, let alone an academic, having to be on dialysis. After the transplant, I'm going to be honest, there were days that if I didn't have to get out and teach a lecture to my students, I would have been in the corner or, or somewhere feeling sorry for myself and, and being upset because things, you know, weren't going horribly, but they weren't going super well for certain points in time. I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm sure there's something going on. You know, I'm spiritual. I'm not probably the best practicing Catholic, even though that's how I was raised. <laughs> um, but thinking there's, this has got to be enough for one person, you know, like there was points where you know, I'm going to be really honest that I didn't know how I was going to get through them. It was horrible. But I did. And it was a challenge. I'm stronger for it. I still, to this day, when I have to go to the clinic for a checkup on my kidney, I am super anxious because you never know what the blood tests are going to tell you because there's not really, you know, it's not like you broke your leg and you're in a lot of pain. The symptoms are very different. So. I always sort of have these little moments where, you know, every time I go, I'm just like, okay, I don't, you know, I hope it's good news. Because really, there's not, you know, one telltale sign of chronic kidney disease. I mean, there's certainly common symptoms. But for me, yeah, it was just I didn't really have a lot of those symptoms. So yeah, no, I don't I'm think not. you ever get over that with a chronic illness. At least I'm not sure I can ever go out, get over that. But again, you know how to handle it. I know how to, you know, not calm myself down, but uh, explain things mentally to myself internally and say, okay, you know, you've gotten through it once, you'll be okay. But yeah, there's still always those little moments of, I don't know if it's fear or panic or a bit of both, but, and that really played into me coming back to Ontario. I needed to be closer to my support system, which is my family and my really lifelong friends. Yes. Because I knew after going through it alone in Saskatchewan that I didn't know if I could continually do that. For sure. And that and that's powerful. And I mean, I, I'm so respectful of everything that you've been through and, and, you know, working through all of that and moving around and moving to all these different places. You didn't know anybody. And then having these health challenges. When you think back to when you were a prof and even if you teach anybody now, does your message to them differ now than it might have when you were in Saskatchewan? And, you know, if you can, if anyone out there listens to this that's going into dentistry or in any field, what advice do you have for them? Because, you know, you have had things that have made it more challenging than some people, but I'm sure you've seen with your friends and your classmates that went through the multiple programs you did, like you said, not nothing's a movie and everyone's got their challenges. What was some of the messaging you'd share with, with students? Did they ever say like, oh, you're a Canadian and you went to dentistry school in Australia and now you're back here and that's not the path I want to take or that's a little different? Like, how would you explain that? 
Yeah, I got that question a lot, actually. Uh, I'd always say, well, it wasn't really what I thought I was going to do either. <laughs> but I would always say to them, you know, you're here because you want to be a dentist. You know, and on day one, your expectation is X. Um, you know, halfway through your dental career, your expectations of what you're going to do are Y. The day you graduate, they're Z. And then, you know, those change over time. And dentistry is at least the per type of profession where you can be flexible with that. You know, you can own a practice. You can work for another dentist. You can go and travel and do dentistry, volunteer dentistry in a third world country. You can work rurally. You can work urbanly. You can work in the U.S. You can specialize. You can teach. You can do research. Or research. I always used to say, don't rule anything out yet until you learn a bit about yourself. And I said, it's okay. I would always say it's okay to change your mind. A decision you make today does not mean you have to stick to it in five years, in two months, in two hours. Just do what's best for you in the different stages of your life. And I would say, I think a big difference for me also was appreciating the standpoint of what a patient would think about from pre-transplant to post-transplant, because it is very different. It's very easy to say to someone, this is how you should treat another human being when you're doing their dental work, or when you're a doctor treating someone. But it's really interesting to be on the other side and have to surrender that control to a classmate, to a new doctor, to a surgeon for a transplant that you've met five minutes before, and having that very different perspective. So I always used to try to weave that in when I, or I tried to, you know, I thought it was really important that you still, you're not treating 28 teeth or 32 teeth. You're treating a human being that comes to your office with a multitude of emotions, uh, who typically does not want to be at the dentist and whatever challenges they might have and past experiences. And you have to be able to quickly, one, determine what those are. And how you are going to work with that client, uh, or sorry, that patient to improve their oral health. And that is no easy feat on any given day. And I would say to them that this is a marathon. <laughs> you know, it is not, it is not undergrad. It is different. You cannot cram to be a dentist because the day you graduate, I expect you to remember the thing that I taught you on day one because it's always building. Your knowledge is always building on something else. And even after you graduate, you have to continue to learn because things change. And to really think about it as a marathon and take care of yourself and realize what you need to be successful. One person might need two hours of sleep every night. Another person might need 12. You know, it just depends. And you really have to manage yourself and your time according to that. That's amazing advice. Yeah. Alyssa, could you just tell me a little bit more about your current role with the government? I believe you're focused on the Indigenous communities across Canada. So I work with a program that delivers dental care nationally to uh, registered First Nations and recognized Inuit populations. So we rely really heavily on private practitioners. You know, I'm not the one sitting there doing the dental work. I'm sort of the one... I'm part of a team that that oversees what the program might look like. 
uh, and then people work within that program. It is equal part challenging and rewarding at the same time. It is like nothing I've ever done. You know, when you train to be a dentist, you trained to look and deal with that person in your chair, right? So if yes. you think about when you're at the dentist, you know, you're having a conversation with your dentist about what's happening in your mouth and how we're going to fix it. And they give you several treatment options and you go from there. This is upregulating that to a population level and thinking, okay, how is something going to work, you know, coast to coast to coast? It has to, it has to potentially work in, you know, downtown Hamilton, in Gander, Newfoundland, in Rankin Inlet, in the Arctic, and everywhere in between. And that is a challenge. I think you're the one up for that challenge, if anyone is, considering what you've gone through. But yeah, no, I really appreciate you doing this. It means a lot. Like I said, you're an inspiration to me and so many people. And, um, Honestly, Jordan, thank you so much. I <laughs> One, I don't really think I'm an inspiration, so thank you. And two, I think I kind of forgot about all the stuff I did. Well, I'm so happy we had this conversation to remind you, me, and the listeners of all the amazing things that you have accomplished. You faced setbacks, you pivoted, and you reinvented yourself. I want to wish you all the best as you continue throughout your career And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much, Alyssa, and thanks for listening.